17, or rather, page 619, you'll find Psalm 6. The superscription there is to the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears, and my eyes waste away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know one of the things that I love about being reformed and singing with you is to sing about my groaning and my moaning. Where else do you go to sing about that? I mean, we sing at funerals, we sing at the bedside of people who are dying, and we can sing about that. It's why Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ocleampadius, and we got to get back to the Psalms. And we got to sing these Psalms because they sing of the whole gamut of life, and you've been going to church, many of you, for many years, and I'm not going to give you the thing that we always do, that the Psalms have it all, but they do. And they're to be sung and, and the beauty, you know, of Psalm 6 is that there's no event with it. We don't hear that it was sort of after the sin with Bathsheba of David or that he was running away from Absalom. And that when we read the psalm, we can begin to see, hey, you know what? I know David felt that way, but I do sometimes. I think there's probably people here right now who know Psalm 6. And going, how did David know? Because the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit knows that some of you had a tough time coming to church. And that there's been days in your life, a Sunday, when you were looking up against it. Maybe it was a consequence of your sin. Maybe you felt so rotten ashamed the hellish agony. I can't look at people. I don't want to be with them. I don't want to be singing hallelujah, praise ye God, in his temple shout his laud, and everybody's smiling and happy and all that, and I just want to hide, and I just want to go away. If I don't want God to look at me, I don't want God's people looking at me either, and yet it's exactly in church where you need to be, and it's exactly why we need to sing these psalms. Is there room for lament in the church anymore, beloved? Does it always have to be happy, clappy, and the future so bright I got to wear shades and isn't life phenomenal? And if you go to church, you'll have a great wife and a great life and it's all going to go well with you. And we know it isn't. 
And maybe you're not there today with Psalm 6, but you probably know somebody who is. And Psalm 6 is gospel. And Psalm 6 is comfort. And Psalm 6 is a psalm that you sing and you say, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own. And it's a psalm that you can sing and you can say, rejoice in the Lord always, in any situation, that I can consider my present suffering even joy in that. At some point in David's life, God moved David to write this psalm so that we could articulate the things that so often we don't want to. And you know what's interesting with it too is I think too often we think we're not allowed to talk this way. That, that it would somehow go against our theology. And, and, and one thing I really noticed working through Psalm 6 and when you deal with it personally for the week is Sometimes good theology makes life hard, right? When you know you're suffering, oh yeah, but I'm a lousy person and I deserve it anyways. Or when, you, when you realize all these things and, and, and that you know your suffering comes from a God who controls everything and he could take it away if he wanted to, but he isn't. And then you don't know what to do and, and there's a certain confusion that happens there because your theology is rooted in scripture and yet it's not all there is, is there? Because in scripture we come and say, hey, look, we are the people baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I am your God. Yes, you're my children, and I'm doing something with you. And by the Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. And he says, yeah, look at my son. Think about him because these words are his words too. And in him, you're going to find hope. And in him, you're going to find reflection. It's interesting in, in our new songbook in the URCNA that Psalm 6 is set to the music of Olive's Brow. And it's an old song, it's probably not the most beautiful song, but that song is about Christ in Gethsemane and praying on our behalf and wrestling with God at midnight hour on Olive's brow. Wrestling with God. And then what's interesting is that they took that tune and that sense of that music and then brought it to Psalm 6. And we here have a lovely setting as well to sing as the church who brings her cry of distress to God, but always in certain hope. This afternoon we're going to see the correction for the soul, the pain of the soul, and then the deliverance of the soul. Oh Lord, great I am. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O oh Lord, for I am weak, O oh Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. You know, the Puritans are always interesting. They're great for a turn of phrase. When your soul is troubled, that's the soul of trouble. When you're rocked to the very core of your being. And this is David. This is David talking about crying so much he makes his bed swim. Weary, his eyes are wasted away. Oh, Lord God, I am weak. But David, come on. You're the, the guy you took on Goliath and you took on the lion and the bear and you killed 10,000 Philistines like it was nothing. David's a warrior. David's a man's man. David's all that. He's a man after God's own heart. Oh, Lord, he says, do not rebuke me in your anger. Chasten me in your hot displeasure. 
I'm feeling your pressure now, Lord. I'm suffering here, Lord. In the depths of my soul, Lord God, I don't know what's going on. Now there's two ways to look at this. And the first one is the chastening and the rebuke are words of judgment. And that David is saying, I am feeling, Lord, that you are angry with me. That you've had it with me. That you don't love me anymore. I feel like you have turned your back on me. But the other meaning of those words, and they're kind of joined together, is discipline. Oh, Lord God, there's something in me you're, you're rooting out. Oh, Lord God, I'm suffering here because I'm supposed to learn something. I'm suffering here because I'm trying to become a better man, and you want me to become a better man for you than a better person. Oh, Lord, my God, I'm suffering here. What do you want me to know? But please don't suffer. Don't cause my suffering to be out of your anger out of your hot displeasure. Because that would be judgment with no hope. That would be judgment unto condemnation. And Lord my God, I love you and I can't cope with that. I feel like you are damning me now. That I am so dirty, so rotten. And you know what, Lord? I am. I am. Have you been there? Again, there's two ways to look at this. One is the sense that I sinned and that there's a consequence for my sin. That I did something and it was pretty bad. And I'm feeling guilty and I'm feeling ashamed. And I feel like God could not love me anymore when I didn't wait to marriage or I got hooked on the bottle, or when we cheated somebody and we promised we wouldn't, when we maltreated our children. You've been there. You know your sin. And you know how that makes you feel. Genuine conversion is rooted in godly sorrow. And by the way, did you, did you notice that? David didn't say, oh Lord, take it away. Oh, Lord God, remove it from me. I just want to feel better. I want no conflict with you. I don't want any affliction from you. That's not what he says. I don't want you to do this to me in your anger. And if in this case it was a sin, maybe after Bathsheba, or, or a repercussion, right, that the sword would never depart from his house, then that is a brutal, horrible feeling. Have you ever done something where you just felt like God? We hate to say can't, right? Because, well, we have good theology. We know he can, but why would he? You understand that's the devil, right? You understand that that's the devil saying, you are unworthy, and you know what? It's true. We are. What are we going to say to God? Not what my hands have done. Blessed are the, the ones who mourn, for they will be comforted. But we have to get to that place of mourning. You know, I hear that a lot. Psychology, psychiatry, 
Guilt is bad. No. Guilt is good. When you feel guilty before Almighty God, you say, I don't want to ever do that again. I feel guilty before you, God. I know I have offended you. But maybe worse than guilt is the shame. When you feel so ashamed and you wallop and you hide out and you don't want anybody to know. How many men, and now I hear that more and more women are dealing with the shame of pornography and then they feel guilt and they feel shame and then they run back to the pornography because well, at least I get a little comfort there. And you feel that oppression from almighty God and in that moment this prayer happens in that moment there is a crying out to almighty God Lord how long I know I know in whom I have believed I know what I've done is wrong Lord I get it I understand it but I need a peace. I need something from you, please. And I think of Christ in Gethsemane. And your sin is on him. And my sin is on him. And it's not even a crown of thorns plus pressing out the bloody sweat at this point. <clears throat> the beloved Son of God, with whom God is well pleased, is becoming the Lamb of God who has to die the scapegoat, the one in whom all of our sins are placed upon. Oh, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't deal with me in your hot displeasure where Christ knows he's going to die, Christ knows he's going to resurrect, but hell's deep agony, that's what, what, what drew out of him the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, Christ, we know. And then the writer of the Hebrews says, Take it to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. Are you weak and heavy laden? Take it to the Lord in prayer, beloved. He knows you. He suffered and he didn't even deserve to suffer. <clears throat> he didn't deserve anything he got. There was no lesson he needed to learn. And yet he took that on so that when he brings your prayers out of the depth of your sin, God knows exactly what he's talking about, because Jesus knows exactly what you're talking about. <clears throat> don't let the devil force you away. And don't wait all the time, because you're not going to get to this point where you feel more holy, or after a little bit of time you feel less ashamed. The exact thing you need is the thing that your ego, your pride, the devil saying, don't go to the Lord, he doesn't want you, go. You've got to go to him. Have mercy on me, O oh Lord. Have mercy. Well, that's the one way. But there's another kind of soul anguish that's also rooted there in the Hebrew. <clears throat> my soul is greatly troubled. So deep, hey, that, that I'm physically nauseous. My bones are aching beside me. Anybody who's been through depression, anxiety, struggle, you know that. When you're going through grief, it's palpable. You can feel it. It hurts in the throat. Your eyes are red. You just feel lethargic. 
Quite often for men with depression, it's horrible irritability and anger, and, and you just feel lousy. And for women, the, the lethargy that can come, and, and just the, the, what's the point of it all? And, then, and then, then the lethargy can lead itself to all kinds of other ailments. We know that we're total beings. When the soul is troubled, the body, the body is feeling that too. But sometimes that trouble happens because something's been done to you. Sometimes that trouble is happening, say, like Job, where he needs to learn something, but there's, there's nothing there. So this morning you heard about the law, and we kind of run to the law on these things, right? Well, I must be suffering this because I did that. And you can even hear that sometimes, where people remember something that they did in kindergarten way back when, yeah, now God's getting me now, that's why I'm feeling bad. And then what happens is you, you tend to forget there's something wrong with us, and it's called sin. There's something wrong with us, and it's called pride. There's something wrong with us. We need to learn. We need to be educated. And sometimes, beloved, that takes brutal, brutal lessons. And that's why, too, we don't want to minimalize these things. Yes, all things are working together for the good of those who love you. But if you've been abused, if you've been hurt in horrible ways. I, I just got off the phone with somebody driving in here who twice in her life, decade apart, totally abused. And then the feeling of shame. I must have done something wrong. God must be angry with me for something. Me and me and me. And then where do you go with that? Who, who can deal with that? When you work through all of these things, that, that even in those crucible moments, and a prayer comes up from that abused child or woman, that betrayed man, in beauty, in purity, and I'm telling you, when God hears, O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or chasten me in your hot displeasure, I am weak, I am groaning, that's just as beautiful as praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's just as pure. And maybe it's sweeter because it comes in the place of, Lord, I come with my hands empty. I can't bear it. One more point, then we need to move on. I remember hearing a sermon from my brother-in-law, and it's a long time ago, but it's stuck. There's two people in Jesus' life. One of them was named Peter. Do you remember what Peter did? He denied Jesus three times. I don't know the man. I want nothing to do with the man. I've never met the man. And then Jesus looks at him while he's walking on the way to his false trial and on the way to Gethsemane. And Peter weeps. The Lord, with that look, broke that man's heart. And he was weeping. And his soul was troubled. Could you imagine what you think in that moment? How could Jesus ever love me again? But when it came time, and he was the last one off of that, out of the water to see Jesus there on the shore after the resurrection, he went. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? 
do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. And the burden was lifted. But there was another man. And his name is Judas Iscariot. You remember what he did? Well, Jesus isn't probably going to be the emperor we thought he was going to be. Jesus is really not living up to all the headlines we were looking at. You know what? I better get my coin and get out of here while the going is good. And so he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then he can't deal. He can't cope. The guilt is too much. And then the pastor said, where do you go with that guilt? Was it okay that he felt guilty? Yeah, but he didn't go to the Lord with it. He didn't go to Christ with it. He tried to deal with it himself and he broke his own neck on a rope. Because that's, at the end of the day, that's all that's left. And beloved, if you feel that way, how many people in Owen Sound don't feel that way? How many people don't know to go where you know to go? And I'm telling you, you're going to meet somebody and read Psalm 6 with them. And then tell them your story. And how the Lord God answered your prayer. And how in the worst of your trials and struggles, when everything seems, don't go there, the Lord doesn't want you. Lord, please, please have mercy on me. For my soul is in distress. Deliver me, Lord. Save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? It's interesting, eh? And by the way, we're not going to go build a whole eschatology on a psalm. And I'm not going to bore you with all the things written. Does David believe in the afterlife? Yes, he does. The point is that if I am cut off right now on this side of glory, then I will never praise you again, O Lord. I'm not going to be singing. I'm not going to be writing songs. The dead don't praise you on this earth. They're quiet in the grave. There's, there's nothing there. Lord God, this bothers me. This distresses me that I would no longer be able to sing praises with the assembly and the people of God to you. But I can't, I can't, Lord, unless you return to me. You see that language? It feels like you're far away from me. Please come back. God, save me. Do you see the appeal? The, the appeal is, and here's where good theology begins to help. Yes, God is just. He has every right to destroy us. And you know what? It's good that we feel this way and run it, but don't forget he's a merciful God. And that's why David is not so much different than a New Testament saint. For what everybody says, <clears throat> I actually read one sermon where it said, well, if David was a New Testament Christian, he would have been rejoicing in his suffering. So really, really when we're in our suffering, we all go, oh, great, I got diagnosed with an incurable disease. Fantastic, somebody just beat me up. Oh, wonderful, I just lost the business. Oh, great, I just drank myself into oblivion. Oh, great, I just lost my wife because I made some really ridiculous, sinful... We, nobody does that. That's not what Paul means when he says rejoice in the Lord always. It means that in the suffering, in the moment of that trial, I still got something to go with, somewhere to go to this God that I can love and who loves me and has made promises to me. I will remember your sins no more. Repent and believe, beloved. You've got to believe. I mean, that's the great thing sometimes, you know, when you read some of the Dutch piety. 
that it would be better for me to think that I'm not saved, that it would be better for me to think that I'm too lousy and rotten to go to the Lord's Supper table. It would be terrible that I would think that I would die and go to heaven. That's not faith. Faith believes. Faith believes that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the distress of his soul, went to the cross. Hanging there in the darkness, he died. But love crucified arose. And God says to all of us, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, beside the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, whereby you wouldn't cry out for mercy anyways, I will No, I have forgiven you. There's no check you need to write. There's no dance you need to dance. There's no song you need to sing. There's no Christian school you need to support. Do you believe in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because David did. This is the David who wrote Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou in my right hand. And he knows Psalm 2 that the anointed will win all of the victories. And yet in that trial and in that struggle, you cry out, did you ever think about that when Jesus is hanging on the cross and it looks like the devil has won and the Romans have won and Jesus is looking over all these people and he says, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then that, my God... My God, why have you forsaken me? That that from the depths of hell, a voice is crying up to Almighty God. And again, I've said it, but we need to just go a little deeper into that. If you are going through this kind of struggle, or you know someone else is going through this kind of struggle, the Lord is purging your communication with God. The Lord is working on you and in your heart that you would remember him. So, I mean, you you think of Joseph. What did Joseph do that was so bad? And then he's sold into slavery, and then he, he gets sold out by Potiphar's wife, and then he's in prison for all of those years. Oh, Lord, don't rebuke me. Lord God, my eyes are, are growing dim crying and crying. What does that mean? I don't think it means that David is losing his eyesight. There's actually people who believe this is what the psalm is about, that he was going blind or something. It was sort of like Paul's, I pray three times for the thorn in the flesh. That's not what it's about. The soul of the body, the light's not getting in. The light's not getting out. He is seriously drenching his bed with tears. David. David is is doing that. And then God moves him to this prayer. You know what a groan is? A groan is a, an utterance, a vocal sound without intelligible words. So that Paul writes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning from the beginning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of our sonship or to our sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And then it goes on to say, the Spirit intercedes for us. Have you ever been in that place? 
where the purest form of communication with Almighty God is just, ah, I don't know what to say anymore. It's like, keep running back to that stupid sin, Lord. I've been praying and my child just won't give their life to Jesus Christ. I've been praying and my wife just won't love me anymore. I keep running back to that screen. I don't know why you put me through these horrible things in my life. God, I don't understand anymore. Ah. And then the Holy Spirit moves and makes that prayer intelligible. And then Jesus takes that prayer and brings it to God the Father. He says, I heard it. I heard it. Just like I heard the groans of Israel under that brutal Pharaoh. And I will come to get you. And I will come to save you. Isn't that interesting between verse 7 and 8? My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, you evildoers. How did that happen? It was almost like this incredible faith switch. I know, I'm forgiven now. And all of you people who are telling me, you obviously must be in the position you're in, Job's friends, to Job, because you did something wrong. God is angry with you. He doesn't love you anymore. Satan, the demons, the world, they're always telling you all that kind of stuff. And sometimes people in the church, sadly, can tell you that too. Oh, you must have done something wrong. Or, you know, she must have done that. Or, well, you know, she probably had that coming right but we in faith they say depart from me I'm done with your sarcasm I'm, I'm done with your attacks because it's not true the Lord is with me he is doing something with me like Peter who went through that brutal time in his life said but for now you have to suffer in all kinds of trials so that the genuineness of your faith may be tested God is with me all things are working together for the good of our salvation because we love him. And it's just a time. And what the writer to the Hebrews says is true. God disciplines the sons, the daughters that he loves. And then I was thinking that about this week because I don't know how, are you very good at conflict and affliction? Like, yeah, good. I'm so happy the Lord is doing this. To not get down and to face this. And then you think of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. When you're walking waist high in the slop, carrying burdens you can't carry, going, how long, Lord? Shh. It will be exactly long enough. Trust me on this one, the Lord's saying you today. Trust me. I gave my son and he went through the same thing, but it was over and he lives again. Trust me. In time, it will be over. Your enemy, death, can't win. Your enemy, the devil, can't win. Your enemy, the seed of the serpent, no, they can't win. You will overcome. So stand firm, stand up, and stand strong in Jesus Christ and your faith and your certainty that when you bring your cry of distress to God as your act of worship, that you must also go in the faith that says, God will bless us. 
No, let the enemies of God be ashamed. So do you see that the first seven verses were what we call deprecatory? Lord God, I'm lamenting. And then they turn to imprecatory. A lot of people don't like that, beloved. They don't like that in Canada when we say, let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. As I am troubled, let them be troubled. But maybe when they're greatly troubled, they'll turn back. But in the meantime, let them be ashamed for what they have done. Because there's going to be a great and coming day of judgment. And then they will stand there before the Almighty God. And it may look to you like they're living the dream and it's all good with them. But all of you who have picked up your cross and all of you who have been suffering for a little while and all of you who have come in beside those people who have been suffering for a little while, repent and believe that Jesus Christ has come and that as long as we are the kingdom of God on earth, they will hate us and we will suffer. And as long as sin clings to us, the Lord will work to us, bringing us exactly where we need to be on the day he takes us from the planet or on the day Jesus Christ comes again. But trust those words of Jesus who says, Lo, I am with you, even to the close of the age. One last thing and then we'll say our amen. <clears throat> Psalm 6 is not a charm. It's not voodoo magic. Man, I'm feeling lousy, so I'll just read Psalm 6 and all of a sudden, boom, it'll all be awesome. It won't. You may have to pray this again and again and again. But don't stop. Be that persistent widow. <clears throat> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge him because he is directing your paths. I hope all of you can leave today saying, the Lord has heard my supplication the Lord will receive my prayer. This is your Father, and this is your God. Amen.